Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it's got something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to you, prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. The men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he couldn't sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. 
At the king's command, the men who'd falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Good morning, my name's Paddy. It's great to be with the 140 of you in this room and with everybody watching at home as well. Uh, before we look at Daniel 6, please do keep Daniel 6 open, but before we do that, let me just pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we have the freedom to open up your word both here and in our homes. And Lord, we just pray you would speak powerfully to us through your word this morning. Amen. Uh, I was sent a picture this week of Jemima and Jensen at London Zoo. And they are about 15 centimeters away from two huge lions. And even though there is this big, massive, thick piece of glass between them, Jemima looks absolutely terrified. And Jensen just looks incredibly excited. Having seen his reaction to my dog, I doubt he'd be that excited if the glass wasn't there. And in Daniel 6, we have one of the most famous stories from the Bible. It's a story that captures the imagination because lions are awesome, powerful, fearsome creatures. And the thought of being put into a den with them overnight is terrifying. But much like the story of David and Goliath or Joseph and his multicolored coat, Daniel in the lion's den has almost been relegated to a fairy tale or a moral story. But the historical narrative account recorded for us in Daniel 6 tells us of a man who, in the latter stages of his life, refuses to down tools, to ease off, to have a retirement approach to his faith in God. In this account, we are shown once again that God rules over all things and that we are to live distinctly as followers of the true, living, and ruling God. But to live distinctly comes at a cost. Living distinctly leads to accusations, it leads to attacks. It can cost us friendships, our jobs, even our lives. And that's exactly how Daniel chapter 6 starts. It starts with a malicious attack in verses 1 to 9. Daniel is now between 80 and 90 years old. He is serving under his third king in his second empire. He's been living in exile for 70 years. 70 years away from his people, his home, his culture. 70 years serving in political office from some of the most powerful and renowned kings and empires there's ever been. And as a man in his late years, he continues to distinguish himself as a man of intelligence, a man of integrity, but more importantly, as a man of God. The new king, Darius of Persia, is so impressed by Daniel's credentials, character, and exceptional qualities that he's looking to promote him from one of the three most high-ranking officials in the government to the most high-ranking, to effectively make him prime minister of Persia. 
Between 80 and 90 years old, Daniel is set to become the second most powerful man in the world's number one superpower. And why? Because of his exceptional qualities. So what were these qualities that he possessed? We know from Daniel 1 verse 19 that he was gifted in matters of wisdom and understanding. He was an intelligent, well-educated, and experienced man. And in verse 4, we see further exceptional qualities. He was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Translation, he was always honest. He always told the truth. He was always above board. He was always beyond reproach. And he always worked his absolute socks off. He stuck to his deadlines. He always got the job done. He never forgot to do anything or drop the ball. An honest, hard-working, God-fearing man. Daniel was very much living out. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. His faith in his late years hasn't waned from the faith he had as a teenager. The resilient, faithful, and God-assured teen of Daniel 1 still burns brightly in this old man. He has lived and continues to live a consistent Christian life. We live in a culture that tells people when we reach our 60s or our mid-60s that we should ease off, put our feet up, more free time than you've ever had, for some more money in your account than you've ever had, more holidays to go on, more time to do the things you've always wanted to do. And I suppose it can be tempting to carry that retirement mindset into our Christian life, to take our foot off the pedal, ease off, put our feet up, step back from what we're involved in. And can I encourage our older folk in the church who we love dearly to, like Daniel, finish well, to run the race with perseverance to the very end, to continue to be a strong Christian witness, to live for God in your 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s with the passion and energy for Jesus that you had in your 20s and 30s, to stay involved, stay active, stay connected, to be willing to continue to be used by God despite what society tells you about your age and the temptation to take your foot off the pedal. A few weeks ago, I was in charge of the Zoom for the church prayer meeting. Massive pressure, let me tell you that. And when the meeting had finished, the biggest encouragement from what was a really encouraging evening, and it's the first thing I said to Christian was, isn't it amazing how all the older folk in our congregation were on that Zoom call? All of them. All there praying for the church. It lifted my heart to see you all there. So keep going. You are an encouragement to us. And as a church, can we use our older brothers and sisters better? Can we utilize their gifts, their wisdom, their exceptional God-given qualities for the glory of God and the witness of his kingdom? Can we have them in our homes, sharing with us their stories and testimonies? Can we involve them in the groups and activities that go on in the church during the week? So much untapped wisdom, experience, and love for Christ. Can we encourage them to encourage us in the Lord better? Daniel lived at 84 like he did at 14, as an ambassador for God, consistently devoting himself to him. But we have to be aware that living this way comes at a cost 
Just like in Daniel 1 and Daniel 3, there will be times when our lives are distinct and different and they can't be compatible with society around us. So there will be attacks. The devil wants to bring God down, to bring God's people into disrepute. So he attacks us. We looked at this a bit in Ephesians last month. We have a very real, a very active, and a very dangerous enemy who despises strong, faithful Christian witness. To not acknowledge this is negligent. Satan despises God's people standing for God. He will scheme and work in the hearts of men to bring down those who live for God. How this plays out practically, we'll see a little bit of today, um, but I strongly recommend the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, which illustrates the devil's tactics brilliantly. And in Daniel 6, he faces a malicious attack from his colleagues. Why? Because he follows God. That's the reason. He hasn't wronged anybody. He hasn't double-crossed anybody or stabbed anybody in the back. They hate him because he follows God, and that makes him stand out, and they hate him for it. They hate the thought of this honest, hard-working, religious man ruling over them. So they mutter and they plot amongst themselves. They take the approach of digging through his conduct in office, trying to see how many skeletons he's got in the closet. Maybe he took a bribe to pass some planning permission paperwork through for a mate. Or maybe he's had an affair with one of his secretaries. Something big and juicy to pin on Daniel. But there's nothing there. Maybe something a little bit smaller then. Maybe he nicked off early on that Friday because he'd booked a weekend away and he hadn't told his boss. Maybe he was late for that important meeting and really upset a client. Maybe he forgot to follow up on those emails that he promised he would. But they find absolutely nothing, no charge against him. What's their admission in verse 5? We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Isn't that an incredible witness? Imagine that. A life lived so consistently for God that the only way to be discredited is by using your faith against you. I'd love to be able to stand here this morning and say that if people wanted to find dirt on me, the only place they could begin was with my faith. That in every other area of my life, I'm squeaky clean. I'm faultless. So go on, go for my faith. Sadly, I confess, it would take very little digging and there are many sins I need to address in my life that it wouldn't be that hard for me to be discredited. I lack the consistent Christian life and faith of Daniel. So attack his faith is exactly what these people do. They butter up the king, they massage his ego, his pride is all buffed up, and they pass this law that can't be changed, can't be broken. Verse 7, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed. Well, that's a lie. Daniel certainly hasn't agreed to this. That the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Just like in Daniel 1 and Daniel 3, those who follow God are being asked to go against their faith by the authorities, by the ruling powers. In Daniel 1, uh, standing for God would have cost them their lives. In Daniel 3, it's the fiery furnace. And here in chapter 6, it's the lion's den. The threat of death for being a believer, written in law. So what does Daniel do? We see in verses 10 to 16, a courageous response. 
Because, I mean, if you study the small print, it's only 30 days. And he doesn't even have to bow down and pray to Darius or a big gold statue. It's not like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the music played, they had to bow down. Now, this one's just abstain from praying for 30 days to anyone but Darius. So just don't pray for 30 days. Don't kick up a fuss, Daniel. Don't draw any unwanted attention to yourself. 30 days, keep your head down. It's not that long. And then after that, the law's finished. You can pray as much as you want. That's what God would want anyway, right? He wouldn't have appointed you here. He wouldn't have had you here for 70 years in government for you to blow it in 30 days. What use are you to God in the lion's den, Daniel? You've got the king's ear. You're his right-hand man. Be reasonable, Daniel. See the bigger picture. It's better for you not to pray for 30 days so that you can stay in office for the next three years. God can use you there. Be strategic. Be smart. Think it through. Are these loopholes we'd look for under the guise of intelligence or strategy or godly thinking? Who are we kidding? At the center of all that thinking isn't God. It's me. It's how can I get out of it? How would I solve this? How can I deal with this? How can I make sure God can use me? But Daniel's response in verse 10 is nothing like that. This is my favorite verse in the whole chapter. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He did what he had always done. One commentator put it like this, his actions reveal his habits. Daniel is able to make a courageous stand because his life has been consistent. He has always trusted that is God who rules over all things. We've seen that for six chapters in 70 years now. So the question is, at what point will we be required to make a courageous stand? Because, yes, we live in a culture where we're in a minority, but do we really face death for what we believe in? Where do we draw the line at being submissive to those in authority over us and faith being faithful and consistent in standing for Christ? Will we compromise and look for loopholes when that time comes? Will we look to weasel around it and justify it as strategic and godly thinking? Or will we consistently and faithfully go to God, put him first, and trust that he is ruling over all things. Whether that be the threat of being fired from work for deciding to decline putting support for pride on your email signature next June. Or whether it be the threat of calling social service on you as a parent because you've decided to remove your child from the relationship and sex education lessons that the school is putting on. What will we do when faced with the threats from authorities for exercising our biblical beliefs. What does Daniel do? He does what he's always done, and he trusts God. He has a choice, and he makes the same choice he's been making for 70 years. He's aware of the law. He is aware of the consequence, but he is fully aware that his God is the God who rules, and he will not compromise his faith even with the threat of the lions. We shouldn't look for loopholes. We shouldn't try and be clever and strategic. We should trust God.
What is Daniel doing in verse 11? We hear he is asking God for help. He is going to God for wisdom and guidance. We need to be quicker on our knees to God in prayer and slower to strategize and think our way out of things. It would have been a lot easier for Daniel to abstain from prayer for 30 days or do it discreetly, but his love and trust is in the God of heaven and earth. A courageous response, indicative of a consistent life, to go and pray as he had always done. The plotters gather round in their group. They see him praying and they run straight to King Darius. They get him to confirm, you, you did pass that law. Remember the law? You did pass that law when no one can pray to anyone but you for 30 days. And Darius confirms it straight away. Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. The king's reaction, he's absolutely gutted. He's greatly distressed. He works till sunset to try and get Daniel out of it. He looks for everything he can for it not to go ahead. But even King Darius of Persia, the most powerful man in the world, is unable to rescue Daniel. The law has been written. Daniel has broken the law. So to the lions, he has to go. Darius' last words to Daniel again reveal a man who lived for his God. Verse 16, May your God who you serve continually rescue you. Daniel is thrown into the den. The stone is rolled over. He's sealed in there. There is no escaping the death he faces. And we see in the next seven verses, Daniel has a sure confidence. The king has no such confidence. He goes to bed and he can't sleep. He's tossing and turning. He's not in the mood for any parties or entertainment. He can't even eat such as the knot in his stomach. He's restless. He's anxious. He's angry. His conscience and his spirit are clearly troubled. And as soon as the sun rises, he is up and he runs to the lions and he shouts down, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? What a question. Imagine your non-Christian friend asking you a question like that. It'd blow your head off, wouldn't it? Has your God, whom you serve, continually managed to save you? And Daniel's reply reveals the true hero of this story. Because it's not Daniel, and he knows full well it's not him. It is God, the living God, who he serves continually. Verses 21 and 22. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The lions have not hurt me. Death has not consumed me. I'm safe and sound because my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth and rescue me. God did it. God saved me. God rescued me. I did nothing. It was God's. God saved me. Why? Because I was innocent in his sight. The reason that Daniel is saved, he is innocent in the eyes of the God who rules. The fact that he has done nothing wrong towards King Darius is secondary. That's the second point he makes. He was innocent in the eyes of God, and God saved him. God did it. I've made a lot of points this morning about 
how consistent Daniel's walk with God is, how his life just speaks volumes of his love, trust, and faith in God. And Daniel is an incredible example, isn't he? He's an example to follow. But I couldn't help when preparing this and thinking, I've been a Christian 11 years this summer. 11 years this summer. And I would love to be like Daniel. But I look back at the past 11 years and I just see how inconsistent my Christian walk is. Whether it be prolonged absences of prayer and Bible reading in my life, the lack of courage to stand with God, uh, for God sorry, when with my mates, the lack of love for my wife and the unnecessary arguments with her, the losing of my temper on the football field, the last-minute approach to doing things for work, the reveling in music and films that I know aren't good for me, my flippant attitude towards authority. I can go on and on and on. Those who know me well know I could go on and on and on. The last 11 years have been anything but consistent. So what encouragement can I take from Daniel 6? While I respect what a great man of God he was, I don't think I can be like that. How can I be innocent in the eyes of God? Daniel 6 points us towards greater Daniel. It points us to our need of the Lord Jesus Christ. The parallels in chapter 6 with Christ are striking. Let's just run through them quickly. Daniel, government officials jealous of his power and authority plot to kill him. Jesus, religious officials jealous of his power and authority plot to kill him. Daniel, no charge can be found against him except to do with his God. Jesus, no charge can be found against him so they accuse him of blasphemy against God. Daniel, the ruler of the Persian Empire is anguished by the fact that he will have to go to the lion's den and tries to save him, but can't. Pilate, representative of the Roman Empire, tries several times to release Jesus, knowing that he is innocent, but can't. Daniel faces certain death. He's thrown down into the den. The stone is rolled over. Death and darkness. Jesus dies on a cross, is laid in a tomb, and a stone is rolled over. Death and darkness. Daniel, through the power of God, defies death. The stone is rolled away. He comes out alive, is vindicated, restored to his position, and prospers in the Persian kingdom. Jesus rises from the dead three days later. The stone is rolled away. Sin and death are defeated. He is vindicated. He is elevated and he is seated at the right hand of God in power and glory over his kingdom. Daniel is not the hero of this story. God is. Daniel points us towards our greatest need. Christ. Christ is where our eyes should be fixed this morning. Daniel's life reflects his understanding of what a great and amazing God we have. A God who rules a God who saves. And like Daniel, we too can be found innocent in God's eyes. We can be saved from the certain jaws of death through believing in the life, death, and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what gives us our confidence. 
Not our own efforts to try and be as consistent as possible because we'll fail there time and time again. We all will. But by the blood of Christ at Calvary's tree, my sins nailed to his cross. His blood shed for my sins. That's why I am innocent in the eyes of God. Because of the love of God for me. That's where my confidence is. My confidence confidence is in a God who saves. Thank you, Father, for sending your only beloved Son so that I could be seen as innocent in your eyes. Daniel 6 points us to the Savior we need, not just the example to follow. Darius' reaction to Daniel's rescue is incredible. We see God use it to advance his kingdom. We see a kingdom advanced in verses 25 to 28. King Darius, similarly to King Nebuchadnezzar at the furnace, is, is blown away by this miraculous rescue he's just witnessed. Blown away by a God who saves, a God who is living and active. And Darius issues a decree across the whole empire. This is an empire that spans from India to Greece. And it goes out in every single language, into every single home. And this is what it says. That in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the, heaven and on, in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Reads like a morning psalm, doesn't it? The the decree before this one declared that everyone needs to pray to King Darius for 30 days. This decree talks about a God whose dominion and kingdom will never end. This one sees a pagan king once again humbled by the hand of God, declaring God's awesome rule, his sovereignty, his power, his character, his love, and his strength. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. Truths about God going into every single home. Rich, life-saving truth about a personal God who saves. The same truths we declare from the words today. How easy it would have been for Daniel to just have not prayed for 30 days. To try and be strategic. Try and figure things out. Thinking he knew how to advance God's kingdom. He faithfully and consistently goes to God and God sends the gospel into every home in the kingdom. Every single home. He lived a life of consistent witness and refused to compromise. The consequences were life-threatening. But God, who rules over all, used it all for his glory and to advance his kingdom. God rules. 70 years of history in Daniel show that. Thousands of years of history show us that. Will we trust him? Praise God. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. 
He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Amen.